What a great day, huh? Anytime that uh, we get to witness baptisms and, and participate, uh, the, the privilege I have of, of doing those is always, always a, a, a great joy. Uh, and it reminds me of, of part of the reason why I enjoy so much what I'm doing. And it's also great. Uh, last week, I shared with you that uh, one of our new members, Manny Castillo, had, had uh, suffered a stroke a couple weeks ago. And, uh, and it's great. Manny's sitting over here right now. And brother, it's great to see you. And we're grateful that you're here. All right. Manny told me earlier that he's continuing to work on his golf game, and uh, that scares me because the last time we played, it was not pretty for me. But, uh, but anyway, so it's great to see you, brother. Glad you're here. We continue our series uh, on generosity called Overflow. And in the passage that we're about to look at in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul gives some closing instructions to this young pastor by the name of Timothy. He gives them this information around the year 65 AD, which is, give or take, almost 30 plus years since Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. It's important to keep that in mind because this Christ-following movement that began about 30 years prior to this letter was slowly but surely making significant impact in many people's lives. The promised work of the Holy Spirit was was significant for this movement in making headway, and part of the Holy Spirit's work was evident in one very distinct way. It was in the way that Christ followers were choosing to be generous with their resources. Through the generosity of Christ followers, the lives of orphans, the lives of widows, and the lives of of those who society considered sick were being cared for in life-altering and life-giving ways. Other belief systems treated the sick, treated widows and orphans with absolute disdain and really had nothing to offer them. But Christianity spoke into that void, spoke into that neglect, and reminded people that the Lord cares for all of humanity, whether they're healthy and wealthy and wise, or whether they're sick and poor and not so wise. All of humanity matters to God. And in the process of of this happening, the gospel continued to go out. And I want to read for you out of the book of Acts And listen to what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 4 about what was going on at that time. We pick it up in verse 34, or verse 32 of Acts chapter 4. He says this, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was not there were no needy persons among them for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need generosity as it overflows in our lives it changes our lives And as generosity takes over in our lives, not only are our lives changed, but other people's lives are changed as well. 
And the further we go in giving generosity and giving generously, we realize that there is so much more that God has given to us. And so we thank him for that, and, and the apostles at the, and, and back in Acts were thrilled with what was happening. As this small, fledgling community of, of people grew from a few thousand in the middle first century to numbering close to 35 million by the middle of the fourth century, part of that growth is due to the generosity of God's people showing that God cares for all of humanity and that no one is forgotten. And so we come to this place in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I invite you to turn there now because it seems to me that that Paul, as he wrote these words to, to Timothy, he's remembering one very significant thing about humanity, and it's this. It's that we have very short attention spans, that we forget things rather quickly. We forget how beautiful generosity is and what can happen in people's lives through our generosity. And so Paul says this, in, starting at verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Father, we pray now as we come to this time and looking at your word, we would ask, and I ask, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we could see, that you'd open our ears that we may hear, that you'd open our minds so that we may understand and that you would open our hearts so that we would overflow with generosity because you overflow with generosity. Lord, it's my prayer that no one would hear anything that I say but that they would only hear what it is that you want them to hear and need them to hear and that in all of this, Lord Jesus, you would be glorified. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. As generosity takes over a person's life, one of the first realizations is this, is that a person then gets to choose to take humility over arrogance. And that's what we see going on here in verse 17. Paul says this, command those who are rich in this present world. It's a powerful way to start off this closing section of of his letter to Timothy. And as I was working on this this past week, as I was working on the message this past week, and came to this phrase, all of a sudden I realized that as a pastor I need to alert you to something, that this is a what I call a squirm alert passage. God bless you. This is the type of, 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 of passage that is all throughout Scripture that, that causes, I'll just say it, it causes me to squirm a little bit, Because I always, as I'm looking at it, I'm trying to find a way around what Paul's writing here. I'm trying to find a way around what he's saying because this is tough to read. Command those who are rich in this world. And one of the ways that we want to squirm around this passage is by thinking and believing that we're not rich. Yet... 
I'm going to share some statistics with you. Many of you know this, that I, that I enjoy finding these statistics and sharing them with you. And, and in 2009, Parade Magazine reported that if all the money in the world was spread out evenly, it would amount to just about $9,000 per person. $9,000 per person if all the wealth in the world was, was spread evenly. About half the world's people, for half the world's people, that would be more than 12 years' wages. $9,000. Takes them 12 years to get that. And here's another way to look at the wealth situation in our world. Another researcher did this. They said, if the whole world, was only, if the whole world only had 100 people in it, one half of the entire world's wealth would be held in the hands of six people. Seventy of those hundred would not be able to read. Fifty of those hundred would suffer from malnutrition. Eighty of those hundred would live in substandard housing with no plumbing or electricity. And only one would have a college education. I bring these statistics to your mind not to make, you, make all of us feel guilty, but I, but I bring them to mind to alert us to the fact that when we're reading about the rich in this present world, in this passage, it's talking about us. It's talking about us. And that's why we want to squirm, because we sit there and we want to try and find a way that that's not talking about us, but it's impossible for it to not be talking about us. God's Word is timeless. Back in Timothy's day, they had the same situation that we had. Some in their midst were incredibly wealthy. And Paul goes straight to it. And I talked about this last week when we talked about the purpose of a command. And notice what he says here. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. He says, he commands them. He doesn't say to Timothy, hey, could you inform the people? He says, command them. And the purpose of a command is to provide a different way than we would naturally go. This command speaks to that because we would naturally say, as we receive, we need to look out for ourselves. We need to take care of ourselves. And it's a lesson that I have to repeatedly, repeatedly teach myself all the time because it's so easy for me to get distracted. And I could have used this reminder when I was 16 years old. I was the first of my friends to turn 16 which then led to this, I was the first of my friends to purchase my very first car. And I could not wait to purchase my first car. And in the midst of my desire, in the midst of my desire to get behind the wheel of my first car, I did a number of things foolish about it. First off, I didn't listen to my dad, who knows everything about cars. He knows them inside and out. I didn't listen to my mom. She said, you need to be careful with your money here. This might not be a wise decision to make. But I was so fixated on this incredible piece of machinery. I didn't care. And then I didn't listen to my youth pastor because he gave me perhaps some of the best advice. And the advice was this. 
you need to take that car on a test drive. Why take it on a test drive? Therefore, I didn't take it on a test drive. And so the picture that you see, this is not my car, but it, I mean, it's a model of the car. It's a, it's a 1973 olive green Grand Prix. The, one on the, the picture on the left looks a lot more like the car I had than the picture on the right. And so I was so thrilled to have this. And part of my, me being thrilled was to show my friends how great I was. I put all my hope in this purchase. I put all my hope in, in, in showing my friends and showing my family that I had arrived. And so, I paid the person the money. They signed over the title to me. And then, he handed me the, key, the keys to the car. And I got behind the wheel of the 1973 Pontiac Grand Prix sedan. Put the keys in the ignition and turned over the engine. It leapt to life. All of a sudden, all noise around me stopped because I couldn't hear anything over the loudness of this vehicle at that particular time. But I was thrilled. I then put it into drive and pulled out of the driveway. As I pulled out of the driveway and was heading home, I anticipated the smiles of my parents' faces on my parents' faces as I was going to pull into the driveway and say, "Look at what I have!" And they were going to look at me. They were going to welcome me with open arms and say, "Oh, glorious John! We're so glad you have your first car." And as I drove down the road, heading home, I needed to adjust the rearview mirror. And as I adjusted the rearview mirror, I noticed something rather significant. I couldn't see anything behind me because of the amount of blue smoke that was billowing out of the exhaust of my car. I figured this, that the car hadn't been run for a few weeks, and so as the engine warmed up, the smoke would lessen. Tells you about how much I know about auto mechanics. I know nothing. The smoke intensified. And as I pulled into the driveway of my house, my parents were out there with big smiles on their face. And my dad said the following, Son, not only did we hear you as you approached, we saw a cloud of smoke follow you as you approached. And my mom looked at me and said this, are you pleased with your purchase? <laughs> you see, I got wrapped up in the material thing. I placed my hope in having the first car of, uh, that my friends had, of, of being the first of my friends to own their car, to, act, to lay down money and purchase this fine piece of machinery. Needless to say, as I put the car in park and waved my way through the blue smoke that engulfed me, I realized that I had placed my hope in the wrong thing. 
Paul understood that, and that's why he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth. And the reason being is because it's so uncertain. It's so uncertain what this world offers. And hear me very clearly on this. It's okay to be excited when you get something new. It's okay. There's nothing against that at all. But what ends up happening is so often we place our hope in that thing rather than placing our hope in the one who provides us that thing. You see, look what he says here. But to put their hope in God. To put their hope in God. And, and what he's driving at here, and we find this to be true in James chapter 1, verse 17, James writes this, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He's the one that provides everything for us. And, and there's a subtle thing that, 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 that Paul does here in, this, in, this, in verse 17. He does this, he says, But put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There's a very subtle thing that Paul does here with the verb tense that he uses. Look at what he says. Who richly provides us. He uses the present tense. And what that means is that this is an ongoing experience. Notice he doesn't say God provided us, as if it's a a once and done deal. He says he provides us. Right now, he's providing everything you need in life. Right now, he's an active God. He's the one who's providing. Yes, he's provided us jobs. Yes, he's provided us this. He's provided us that. But he's the one who provides us. And the reason why we get to put our hope in him is because he's certain. He doesn't change like in 1973 Olive Green Pontiac Pontiac Grand Prix that breaks down. He never breaks down. He's the one who provides for us. He's the one who looks out for us. He's the one who knows exactly what we need. We're commanded to not put our hope in things, but to put our hope in the one who provides everything for us. And so we can choose humility over arrogance. And then as generosity continues to take over in our lives, we get to choose joy over happiness. Notice what happens in verse 18. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. As generosity takes over, joy takes over happiness. And we know this about happiness. Happiness only happens when what we want to have happen, happens. That's happiness. It's fickle. It's here one minute, it's gone the next. And we're about to enter into one of the biggest seasons of happiness every single year. Some of your parents right now are figuring out what you need to buy for your children that will make that Christmas morning spectacular. You're plotting out a strategy. You're figuring out how to, how to purchase this or how to purchase that. And, and here's what ends up happening, and you know it and I know it, that we invest all this time, all this energy, all these resources to provide things for our children, and then in a matter of a few weeks, that very thing that we work so hard to give them is already beginning to, to collect dust. 
It is a cold reminder that what made them happy a few weeks ago is no longer making them happy today. Some of your parents are going, so I'm off the hook of buying my kids gifts. You're really not. That would be a really bad thing to do, just telling you. But my point is this, that if you expect those gifts to take care of your children's needs, you're setting them up for failure and you're setting yourself up for failure. God is the only one that can provide that joy. God is the only one that comes through. And notice that Paul says this. He says, command them to do good. Command them to be rich in good deeds. Command them to be generous and willing to share. We are to do good. We are to be rich in good deeds. We are to be generous and willing to share. And why is this important? Here's what's important. What this involves is action. We need to see these and what I and we need to see them and go. And notice what he did with the word go. It's G dot O dot. And what do I mean by this? We need to see generosity opportunities all around us. Those opportunities are there. We simply need to move our eyes from looking out for ourselves and put them on, other, on the way the Lord looks at this world. Look what he said. I'm going to say this again. Command them to do good. It's impossible to do good if we're not looking out for others. Command them to be rich in good deeds. It's impossible to be rich in good deeds if we're not doing good deeds. To be generous. It's impossible to be generous if there's no recipient. And be willing to share. It's impossible to share if there's no one that we're sharing with. We need to see this world as generosity opportunities. They're everywhere. The opportunities are everywhere. Every morning I get here very early and I go on a I go on a walk around the church grounds and I'm thinking about the message, I'm thinking about the morning, I'm, and I'm taking time to pray for us and, and our experience as we gather here. And so this morning I, I came out of my office and I started through the courtyard and as I entered the parking lot, all of a sudden I look up and there's, a, there's an individual trying to get into their car. And I walked up to this individual, I said, good morning. And I quickly quickly deduced that this person had been sleeping in their car all night long. And they were struggling to get back into their car. So I looked at this individual and I said, I said, good morning, may I help you? And she looked at me and she said, I can't get back into my car. She had, the, the key had gotten stuck. And so I sat there and, and uh, continued talking with her a little bit. And I began to take a look at the car that she was about to get into. And I looked inside the car. I'm sounding like I'm stalking her. I was not stalking her. But all of her worldly possessions were in this car. And I realized this woman needs help. She needs a lot of help. And so she eventually was able to get into her car. She opened the car door. She stuck the key in the ignition and she went to start it and it was dead. And she looked at me and I I said, what is your name? She said, my name's Monique. I said, Monique, it looks like you need a jump start. 
Actually, I said, it looks like you need to be jumped, and then I quickly said, you need to be jump-started. <laughs> and she said, well, I have a friend just around the corner who could do that. And I knew there was no friend around the corner that could do that. And so, <laughs> I wish I could say I leapt at the opportunity to provide a generous act of service. But I sat there and I thought, this is really messing up my morning routine. That's what I was thinking. I did not say that out loud. And then all of a sudden, the Lord pretty much nailed me upside the head and said, John, aren't you preaching on being generous in good deeds this morning? And I said, yeah, what does that have to do with what's going on right now? So I looked at Monique and I said, Monique, I don't know much about cars. Actually, I know next to nothing about cars. But I do know how to jumpstart a car. I'll be right back. So, long story a little shorter. God provided that opportunity, pulled up next to her, got out the jumper cables. She started up her car and I said, Monique, have a great day. And feel free to join us for worship later on today. And she said, what time do you guys worship? And I told her at 10.30. And she said, I might be back. I said, we'd love to have you back. As we see the world as God sees it, we see these opportunities to be generous. They're there, folks. Do we see them? Do we see those opportunities? And as I was working on this, I, I, I continued to realize this, that, that Jesus Christ wants such good for us. And we come to verse 19, and it says this, In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. As generosity takes over our lives, we get to choose life over death. We get to choose that. That's what's going on here. The latter part, he says, that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The life that is truly life involves generosity. We believe that Jesus Christ wants the very best for us when it comes to our families. We believe that Jesus Christ wants the very best for us when it comes to our jobs, when it comes to our daily lives, when it comes to our relationships, and almost every single other aspect of our lives, yet there is one area that I've seen people doubt God's best for them, and it always comes back to this area of generosity. I'm baffled by that. I'm baffled by my own doubt of generosity and how I believe that that's what God has called us to do the best and that involves generosity. I say, I know he wants the best as I parent my children. I know he wants the best as I'm in my marriage. I know he wants the best as I pastor this church. But how in the world, Lord, do you want the best when it comes to generosity? I struggle with that. But Jesus Christ knows what's best all the time. And he understands the battle. I invite you right now to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And listen to this. And he says this in 1 Timothy, Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6 verse 19. He says, in this way they will lay up treasures for themselves. And where have we heard that before? Listen to this starting at verse 19 of Matthew 6. 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus knows the battle. He understands it full well. And we read through this little passage taken from the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about not storing up for ourselves treasures on this earth. And in the middle of it, he says this, in verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And all of a sudden, as you're reading this, you're thinking, what just happened? I thought we were talking about treasures. And now all of a sudden, Jesus wants us to have a vision test? Because then he goes right back to verse 24, where he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And you're sitting there thinking, that makes a whole lot of sense in light of what he was just talking about as treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. What's going on here in verse 22 and verse 23? Well, Jesus doesn't simply say, I just wanted to throw that in there for fun. There's a reason for it. Healthy vision. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, what he's talking about here, to have a healthy eye means to be singularly focused. To not be divided. In essence, what Jesus Christ is saying here, because look at verse 23, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. What he's talking about here is our desire to hoard things for ourselves, our desire to not be generous, leads to darkness in our lives. The single focus that he's talking about is he's talking about to be singular focus means that you are generous. When we decide to divide our vision, it leads to unhealthy vision. It leads to darkness. I like to compare it to you have cataracts. You can't see things as clearly as they need to be seen. Generosity opens that up. It helps us see the world in a healthy way, in a God-healthy way. Generosity, when it takes over, we realize that generosity is real living. R.G. Letourneau was 14 years old when he said he had had enough of school. It was 1901 and his family needed him to make money, so he dropped out and decided to go find a job. In 1915, he lost that job and quickly was $5,000 in debt. As he, as he was looking for work, a wealthy rancher said that he needed some property to be leveled. And so R.G. Letourneau was desperate, and he said, I'll take that job. And R.G. Letourneau, in his biography, says that that one job was the most satisfying job he had ever held to that point. And he continued being involved in construction projects that, that leveled ground. 
And then one day he took a risk and he started his own business, his own earth-moving business. And he intentionally would underbid his competition to motivate him to come up with better ways of leveling the ground. His business took off. And then in the year 1927, something happened. A business deal that he had made went south quickly, and he was $100,000 in debt. He didn't know what to do, and if you're a U.S. history person, you know 1927 means what? The Great Depression. He's $100,000 in debt. Didn't know what to do. He went and talked to his pastor, and he said this. He says, what am I going to do? I, I think I probably need to get out of business. I need to go do something else. And his pastor looked at him and said this. My friend, God needs businessmen to represent him every single day. I encourage you to stay in there, and God will take care of you. So Letourneau left that meeting. His faith had been encouraged, and, and over the course of time, he paid off that debt. And over that course of the time of him paying off that debt, a friend of his, a friend of his came up to him and said, R.G., why do you continue to run a construction business when you are so much better at inventing machines that take care of leveling the land? And so R.G. took a flyer, took the guy's advice, and stopped his construction business and began manufacturing these inventions that made land leveling so much easier. 70% of all the land leveling gear and engineering vehicles that were used by the Allies in World War II were manufactured by R.G. Letourneau. At the time of his death, he had over 300 patents to his name. And along the way, generosity took over his life. He continued to receive more and more resources. And one night he was sitting with his wife explaining, I don't know what to do, we're generous, but we keep receiving more. And he reached the following conclusion and he said this to his wife, and it speaks volumes to what Paul's talking about when he's talking about taking hold of the true life. By not storing up treasures for ourselves, he said this to his wife. He said, it's not how much money I give to God, but how much of God's money I keep for myself. From that day forward, R.G. Letourneau gave 90% of his earnings to the Lord and lived off of the 10%. When generosity takes over a person's life, things change. There's a school in Texas called Letourneau University, which is one of the most, it's a world-renowned engineering university. A former student of mine in Scottsdale attended there, and he now works for SpaceX, and and he had a wonderful experience at this university that was founded by R.G. Letourneau. When generosity grabs hold of our lives, things happen, and real life happens.
and in a bigger scope of things. Jesus Christ saw generous opportunities every single time he came to this place, every single time he interacted with people in the streets of Israel. And Jesus Christ never once held back because generosity is part of who Jesus Christ is. And that generosity set us free. We didn't, when he didn't just give 90% of his life, he gave 100% of his life on the cross. Because of his generosity, because of his overflow of grace, we can be set free. So I invite you this morning to allow generosity to take over your life. To allow Jesus Christ and his overflow to move in your life in such a way that you say, Lord, you've blessed me. How now may I bless others? Father, we pray as we reflect on these words, we ask that you would help us. That you would help us to no longer look at our resources as our resources, but as, the, as your resources that you've given to us so that we may grab hold of the life that is truly life. Lord, I thank you for the generosity of so many people in this church, the impact that it's made on my life and countless other, countless other lives. And Lord, I pray that we would grow in generosity. Lord, as we believe you have the best intentions for our families, for our jobs, for our relationships, for the way we spend our daily lives. May we believe that you have the best intentions when it comes to us being a generous people. Move in our midst. Move in an amazingly overflowing way of generosity so that we then would move in an overflowing, generous way in living our lives for your glory. Lord, we thank you that you held nothing back. We thank you that you gave your all. And Lord, we know that even if we give our all, it, it, is a, it wouldn't even matter. It doesn't even measure up to all that you've given us. But Lord, we pray as we give our all, that it would truly be a sweet offering of thanks to you, the one who's given us everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.